topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Thank you for listening to the Keeping It Beauty Show. I am your host, Akila C. Thompson. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have an amazing show for you this evening. Uh, we are here every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on W4CY Radio. Uh, you can catch up on all our shows by going to iHeartRadio and searching Keeping It Beauty. Uh, tonight we are excited to continue our conversation that we had last week We had, if you missed it, you definitely need to catch it on iHeartRadio But we have our dynamic panel back again this evening And before I introduce our panel again I just want to remind everyone about our upcoming Confidences Queen Girls Summit Coming to Atlanta, Georgia at Georgia State University August 6th from 9 a.m. to uh, 5 p.m. You can get tickets by going to confidenceisqueenatl.eventbrite.com. It is going to be an extraordinary experience for girls 13 to 18 years of age. We will have, we are currently, currently sponsored by Investment Management Enterprise and their CEO, Twyla uh, Garrett, will be there, as well as a celebrity makeup artist who will be talking to the girls about inside and outer beauty Alondra Rayner and Beyonce stylist herself Raquel Smith will be in the house and we also just recently added to our lineup a Ginger Bernard who is the co-founder of Phenomenal Girl where we're actually going to do a, a makeshift pant pageant with the girls where we'll crown our queen of confidence and really being used using pageant techniques which is something we haven't done before to really pour into these girls and, and teach them confidence so to get more information about it you can go to imbeautyinc.com or you can go to eventbrite to our eventbrite page which is confidenceisqueen.eventbrite.com so let's get into our show for this evening. It's so interesting that I said to the guys before we went live that uh, I don't know what we're talking about tonight uh, and we're going to be freestyling. And as soon as I said that, for some reason, I can't access my script. So <laughs> I am really winging it right now. So I want to bring on our panel for this evening and I'm going to do as best as I can with their bios from what I remember because I do not have my script in front of me. We have, uh, and of course, I don't want to mess up any last names, and now I'm drawing a blank on last names, but we have Rashad Hoggard, who is a minister as well as a social justice um, activist, and also, uh, you know what, y'all gonna have to introduce yourselves, because I don't want to mess up anybody's titles, so we're going to do this real informal tonight, because for some, whatever reason, I'm drawing a huge blank. So welcome back to the show, uh, Rashad, Aaron, and Quinn. Hi, this is Aaron. Thank Thanks for having me. <laughs> yep. Okay, can y'all just quickly, briefly, like this has never happened before, when my computer is completely frozen and I can't access my script, can you just briefly, because I, I, I don't want, if someone is listening to the show for the first time, I want to make sure that everyone uh you know, gets the full do and know where all of you guys are. So can you just go through uh, just briefly what you do, um, your title, kind of what we shared last week with the show. Feel free to jump in, whoever wants to go first. Well, I'm trying to see if I can get my script to work. Okay, so uh, this is Aaron Steele. Uh, I'm the owner-operator at uh, the Red Lions Group, which is a uh, private security uh, firm. Quinn, I'm Rashad. Rashad Hoggard. 
I'm Rashad Hager. I think Akiva uh, said enough about me already, uh, minister, educator, activist, and I'm excited to be back on this evening to join in with the other brothers. No doubt. Uh, it's Quentin Davis. Uh, Quentin Davis here from Atlanta, Georgia, senior entrepreneur. Uh, I am a real estate investor as well, and uh, I'm happy to be back on the show. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for accepting the invitation. I mean, we had such a good conversation last week, and I love when the conversation ends with when, when are we coming back, and I love that this show gives me the flexibility to actually really be able to make that happen. So, since we talked last week, a lot of things have happened. I mean, the Republican National Convention was last week where Donald Trump mentioned things like, you know, I alone can fix it, meaning everything that's going on in this country from immigration to what's going on with race to terrorism and all the things that ha are happening in abroad. And we also had the most recent case in Miami um, with the uh, behavioral therapist who, uh, his name, of course, is escaping me right now and I can't find my script. Rashad, I'm sure you know his name. His last name is Kinsley. First name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always want to call him Brother Kinsley. Yeah, okay. Kinsley, uh, who is a behavior therapist who was, uh, you know, helping an autistic patient and with his hands up, being unarmed, seemed to be have done everything right, still managed to be shot. And tonight is uh, the first night of the Democratic National Convention, where it is a huge lineup of speakers from Michelle Obama to Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. A lot going on in politics, just a lot going on um, uh, with just uh, protests and things around the election. So I just kind of wanted to bring us current to just some of the things that have happened since the last time we talked. Um, so I uh, wanted to start with um, just where we left off from last week. Um Anything in particular before we jump into anything that was on your hearts after we talked last week or anything maybe that came up for either of you that we didn't touch on that you kind of wanted to uh, to mention? Because I know Quinn, Quinn's been in the lab working on his quotes. So, <laughs> because uh, Rashad, I didn't warn y'all about Brother Rashad beforehand. That one thing that I love about him is that you'll never have a conversation with him and not learn something. He's so knowledgeable of just history and what's going on, especially as it relates to uh, African-American heritage. So I just wanted to kind of give an opportunity there of, um, you know, just checking in with you guys. His How name is Charles Kinsey. I just thought of it. Charles okay. Kinsey. That's his Charles name. Got it. Thank you. So, checking in from last week. How are we doing? How are we feeling? So, this is Aaron. I feel I feel good. Um, I look forward to seeing what the progress is about black banking. I haven't seen any numbers um, except for the uh, the numbers that were displayed. What was that? Like two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Uh, I haven't heard anything since, but uh, I'm looking to see where that's going and, and, and what route that's taking. But obviously, we still have a long road to go, being as though uh, Kinsley found himself in that unfortunate situation. You know? so. Right. Um, updated figures, I mean, don't quote me if I'm wrong. I know that I saw last week floating around that I believe uh, it was Carver Bank, which is here in... Um, New York City, which is so interesting, Aaron. You actually showed me Carver Bank where we were in the bank. Yep. But Carver Bank is the largest black-run bank, but it's actually not black-owned because I think J.P. Morgan and one of the other banks have a huge share. But what I did see is, because not everybody knows that, they got about a million dollars in new accounts. That was a one article that I read. So there has definitely been um, a a large movement of of people moving mo moving their money. Right. Um, and to your point about what you said, I mean that's actually really a good place to start because an article that I was reading uh, that the root had was actually a gentleman right. was writing an article about. How to not um, how to make white people not scared of black men in the in the you know now the aftermath of what happened in North Miami where this man is killed unarmed. Um, 
Why do you feel that um, white people have this fear of black men? Like, where did this come from? Um, I- I'll jump right in. I actually was just having this conversation uh, with a, uh, a white woman not, not too long ago, maybe like a couple days ago. And I think that, you know, since, <laughs> since we came over here, uh, there was this fear of, you know, the strength and the power of the black man. But since then, obviously, things have changed. Now you have movies, you have the music, and you have all these things that dictate what a black man is uh, from an entertainment standpoint. But people take it to heart. People think that that is who we are. You know, these, um, these killers, these aggressive, angry, well, we are angry, but not in that sense, right? Um, these angry men that at, at the whim will just, uh, you know, cause you harm and, and do violence and whatnot. And I think that um, is part of the reason why uh, we're feared, not just by whites, but, you know, even sometimes our own people, you know? But I mean, couldn't we make that same argument for white men? I mean, how many movies have we watched where the, you know, the antagonist or the person that, you know, the the major killer in the movie is someone that's white or, you know, terrorism? I mean, do you remember a few years ago when there was the sniper in D.C. and everybody assumed that that person was white? And there was this, you know, I, I remember such shock when people found that that was actually, you know, black people that were involved in the whole sniper shooting. So it, it's, I, I get that argument, but it's like you could also make the same argument as to, you know, that there's also been been a lot of violence portrayed at the hands of white people as well in our theater. Yeah, you know, I agree with you, and I don't doubt that, um, you know, but I think that from, um, you know, a historical standpoint, you know, since we've been portrayed like this, um, there was a movie that was created way back um, in the day. It was basically about the the Ku Klux Klan, but they they portrayed the Klan as like this um, this savior group and you know they were saving like the world basically against this savage beast known as the black man who was there to just rape and pillage and and, and whatnot and to me uh, you know that that hasn't changed you know when you talk about violence in movies let's take something like say Rambo right Rambo was a violent movie but he was doing it for, you know, uh, a just cause, I guess, or, or a noble cause or whatever. Whereas you take a movie like Minister Society and it's like the portrayal of the black community and that's how they see us because it's reality. That's a reality-based film, whereas, you know, Rambo or, or The Predator or whatever, whatever other white uh, action movie you want to add to it, um, you know, is, is just different, you know. And that's just my opinion. Got it. So, Quinn, why are why are white people so scared of black men? <clears throat> I, I agree with I agree with uh, Aaron, Aaron to a certain standpoint. I mean, a certain point because you know I know I, I, I spend a lot of my time watching old old movies now, and I was watching a movie uh, called The Run, Runaway Train, and the only black person in that movie was a homosexual black man in, in prison. And slowly but surely, you know, as you go from the 80s to the 90s, you see more bad images, uh, so-called bad images of black men in the media, in the movies, from the plays to, you know, gangster rap to anything that's put out uh, in the mainstream media. And that's what helps portray us as being some type of dangerous individual uh, that we should be uh, looked after and, you know, those type of things. And I think... Those are the reason why women are, 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 well, white people in general are scared of us, you know. They don't know anything other than what is taught to them. Mm-hmm. You know, hate is a learned behavior. And um, that movie I was referring to is called The Birth of a Nation. Um, yeah. Back in 1915, it was a silent film. And um, it, it's, it's really messed up. Mm. Brother Rashad. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, you talk about violence. I mean, this, we were brought here based on violence. You know, this this is true. 
this entire country was was birthed around the notion of violence. And really since the days of slavery, this myth, this propaganda that has been used to justify violence and brutality based on who we are as black people, uh, there's been a narrative that's been passed down from generation to generation that says we are inferior, Mm -hmm. uh, we are less than, Mm -hmm. uh, whites are superior, and that has been ingrained in the psyche of uh, most white Americans. Uh, For them, uh, this notion of being fearful of blacks is just as American as eating baked beans or apple pie. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to that, you mentioned a point that is so true. Uh, There's there's another historical aspect that we might consider is they feel as though black folk want to revenge. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you worked two to three hundred years without pay. What other what other ethnic group can you think of that's worked for that long of a period for society and never been paid? So there's this notion of we want our reparations, so there's this fear that has been instilled in most white people because they feel as though black folk are angry. And to an extent we are. Mm-hmm. We are angry. And we, and we do want our reparations. Absolutely, and we do. We're still with. I don't. You and I want that mule. Any other? You can't. You think can't think of any other group? No. Nope. Who has not been compensated nope. for the work that they've done? In as much as we came here based on violence, we built this country. That's the right. White House, the U.S. Capitol, everything that has transpired that has been good in this country. The railroad, folk have cotton industry. Yep. Yep. He's right. And so I don't need to. I don't need to put a quote in there for that. That's just a fact. <laughs> hey. so, I mean, and so I. I, I think I think we've got to really uh, understand. I, I'll give you I'll give you a very interesting point. This past weekend, I was jogging in Harlem, uh, where I live here in New York City. You jogging? And I have a I have a I have watch it, and I have a I have <laughs> I have my shirt on. This is black. This is Black Lives Matter. And then this white lady, when I was you know started to walk and uh, cooling down. She stopped me, and she said with a level of disdain, uh, oh, well, you know, almost like as though I was a terrorist. You know, angry, are you an angry black man? Don't all lives matter? You know, why do you have to really lift this up? And I kind of looked at her as though she would, you know, she was crazy. I said, I said, you know, we wouldn't have to have, I wouldn't have to wear this shirt indicating that black lives matter if we didn't have over 300 years in this country of not having our lives matter. That's right. That's what it all boils down to. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we talk about that, for me, that, that, that pose that, that pose that she was fearful of something. Mm-hmm. The underlying notion that something was bigger, a, a, a cause that was bigger, and she didn't really, a lot of times we're fearful of things we don't know how to deal with. We don't know how to address. That's we don't right. know how to confront. Mm-hmm. And that's why white supremacy has been so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, anyway, I'll stop there. You know, I, mean, I think everybody's experienced things like that. It's like being in the elevator. I mean, being a black man and being in the elevator, elevator with a white woman, it's the most terrifying thing in the world. I want to pull my camera out, keep it recorded all the time, you know, <laughs> because I'm just scared as shit. I'm, I'm sorry. I am scared, you know. And being in the elevator with people of the other race is one of the most terrifying things that I've experienced. Any, anywhere, you know, I've been called names and French and, and other countries outside of my name. I've been called the N-word in Dubai, and people laughing at me because I'm black, you know. And those type of things you just never forget, you know. Or people, when when people clutch their purse, when they see you come down the street, or they cross the street because they see you out there jogging with workout clothes on, you know. Like, you don't, you don't have no weapons on you. You're out there running around are riding your bike and they cross the street or they stop and look around like they're crazy because they don't want you to know that they are afraid of you, you know? Mm. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that, Quinn, because I started this with saying about the article that I, you know, read in the root of like how to be less dangerous to white people. And one of the things that he talks about is one of the things he says is I smile at strangers in tight places because of just being uncomfortable as a black man in a, a space like an elevator um, and how uncomfortable 
that can be for people of other races uh, in, you know, being in that close proximity with, I guess, no way out with with a black man. Um, So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask you guys about some of the other ones. Um, One of the things that he says, I dress my age as much as possible. Do you find that because I I know from what I've seen of the three of you is that you all clean up very well. So when you're, you know, suited and booted, do you find that people of other races treat you differently when you are uh, dressed in a suit versus if you're dressed like, you know, as Brother Rashad just mentioned, I'm out running with my Black Lives Matter shirt on. I know when I I met you, Aaron, you know, you're in the in the bank with, you know, your uh, superhero shirt on and and some and some, you know, shorts. Uh, You know, how do people treat you based on kind of how you're dressed as a a, a black man? Well, you know, I gotta stay with that Batman on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know? I don't think it matters, you know. In my in my opinion, I'm little, I'm under thirty years old, and it doesn't matter what I wear, I'm still a black man, and I'm still feared, you know. And that's something that I came to grips with. And I can be dressed up nicely, and they still think me as a little uh, st- uh helper, you know. Can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? You know, if I'm in regular street clothes like Aaron with my comic shirt on, something like that, then it's no different, you know. That's yeah. my experience. Yeah, and that's, so it doesn't matter I, what you're wearing. It's not about how you articulate your words or whatnot. But you're still a black man. You still have to prove yourself as being a human being. I mean, it's proven by the man putting his hands up in the air and the police still shoot him. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, that's, where, where that's do you live, true. brother? Let me. Where, where do you I, live, brother? Aaron? You live in uh, Atlanta, right? I live in Atlanta. Okay. So I, you know, I think there's a different culture that we we have in Atlanta. It might be here in a place like New York City. It is to an extent. You know, I'm in a, I used to be in suits daily, and I found that there was a you know there is a uh, preconceived notion that you have for everybody. Like you say, you're, you're being black, you're always going to be a threat. You know, it's, but there is a presumption that is uh, made once one individual has a suit on. Come with a suit on. Uh, it's it's presumed that you're employed. White folk will nine times out of ten You're not open a threat. the door for you. Uh, it's it, dressing to an extent, you know, professional attire uh, mm-hmm. in this town. I thought it might not get you far, but it not even so much respect. Maybe an acknowledgement. Uh, I'll definitely have a, if I'm in some jeans or uh, casual clothes. I certainly won't get a door held for me. Mm-hmm. If I have a suit on, maybe. Mm. It's a higher probability. But right. regardless, there is a presumption. And I think that's the over that's that's the underlying notion. Take for instance, in in Minnesota, in Baton Rouge, forget dress code for a minute. Just go to this notion of guns. And I'm gonna say this very quickly because I know you're on time. Uh in these states, even maybe in a place like New York, but particularly in southern states. For a white man or woman to have a gun, it would be perceived as the presumption is patriarchy. Oh, it's uh, self-defense. You know, they're, they're, they're American. You know, it's this, this, this love for country if you have a gun. For a black man or woman who has a gun, you're, you're in trouble. We're going to call the cops. So, you know, we, uh, 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 you're nine times out of ten, you're going to be killed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a threat. And so I think, I think, again, we have to have some more conversations around this issue of, it might be, it's a little bit bigger than dress, it's this, this, this issue of privilege, mm. entitlement, supremacy, and that's the age-old-ism that we talk about. And until uh, we really combat, dismantle, address that, it's the same doggy dog, mighty cross the week. Mm. I um I, I I agree with that. I think that um you know depending upon what circumstance you're in, like for me, if um you know if I'm in the airport and um I have a suit on and you know I have a, a my laptop um, my laptop bag, you know I get treated entirely different. Than as I was in jeans or, or jeans and sneakers and a t-shirt, you know, my ticket would remain the same, 
but you just get treated different and you get looked at different as opposed to being in a suit or street clothes. You know, you can sit in first class all you want, but the fact that you're sitting there, it's like, if you're in a suit, okay, you belong here. But if mm-hmm. you're not and you're in jeans and a t-shirt, why, why are you sitting here? Who <laughs> who authorized you to be here? Kind of attitude and, you, you must be a rapper or something. And exactly. I, and I've, and I've had that happen a couple of times, flying in first cl- class. I had a one incident what happened where I was flying. Me and three, three of my friends, we were flying from Johannesburg, South Africa to Atlanta, and we were all flying business class. And on that flight, it's 85% white and uh, 15% black that's on the flight. And me and my friends sat down in business class, and this white guy got up and said, hey, are y'all in the wrong section of the plane? Are you supposed to be sitting towards the back? And, you know, and this was a South African saying this rather than a white American, you know. Mm. And that just made you realize that this is two. This was 2013 when this happened. And it's like, probably wanted to call you a kafir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, and this is like, say, it doesn't matter what you wear. To me, my experience has been this way. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, it does happen even in the Delta Sky Club where the most elite people are flying. You know, they're, they're hanging out there. You know, especially with, they don't want to talk to you in the elevator. They don't want to say hello to you. They, they expect you to do everything, and they have this privilege. You know, and hey, can I piggyback that for a second, Quint? Right when you yeah, do the Delta Sky Club, like they won't talk to you on the escalator or in the elevator. But when they get into that environment, and there's more, oh, it's a whole you. Now it's like, hey, how you doing? Now, and that's I'm that's that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. I pay premium membership for it every year, and I go to Sky Club every time I'm there. No matter which uh, here in Atlanta, they won't speak to me out the gate. But once we get up in there, oh, you must be a good old Negro because you got enough money to pay for this. <laughs> oh, what do you do? You know, I was sitting next to a, a, you know, I was sitting next to a CEO of a major oil company, oil, oil uh, company, and he bought me drinks for two hours. You know, we sitting there going back and forth paying for drinks, and but you know, had we been at the gate, he wouldn't have gave me the time of day. You're absolutely right. You, mm-hmm. you know, the bigger issue, one of the deeper things that we got to think about is not how this impacts them. But more importantly, how does this impact us? I mean, it lets me know that I gotta pay to play. I gotta pay to play. That's what it feels like to me. You know, if I don't have that membership, then you know, I'm not gonna be able to have a conversation with them. <laughs> They're not well, gonna treat I, me I with mean, any respect. <laughs> and you know what, brother? It, it, for us, it's good. But then for those who come behind us, that's right. Young brothers and sisters who are coming behind us, when they see this, how do we help to instill a sense of self worth? A, a sense of brilliance, a sense of pride into them now so that when they are confronted with this, and they will be, how will they begin to handle I think this is a deeper issue that we've got to begin. It, while, it's, while it's important that we look at things specifically like you go into Delta Airlines or you go into a, a, uh, a store, Saks Fifth Avenue or Macy's or Lord & Taylor or Nordstrom, and the first person, a, a white person, comes up to you and initially thinks, oh, tell me how I get to the restroom or... To the other side of the store or to men's furnishing they want to know it and you say to them i don't work it's bigger than that but how do we perceive ourselves um how do we begin to build our self-worth our confidence and instill that in those our, our, our young sisters and brothers our family because when they are confronted with this uh how will this impact them the way in which they see themselves you know it's very interesting mm-hmm. we talk about um i don't know if you're all familiar with dr kenneth uh Bell or Lee, I forgot his last name, who did this uh, project with dolls back in the 1960s. I remember that, yeah. He was was a professor, he and his wife, at Columbia University, and they were talking to young black kids in Harlem. I keep referencing this, but in New York City in general. And they were looking at to see which one, he was essentially asking black kids, which ones are human, which ones are beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Which ones uh, have more worth, if you will, I'm paraphrasing. And the little black kids went to the white doll before they went to the black one. Right. You, say, you may say, now how does this connect? But it's the same age-old issue That's right. of our worth, mm. of our crea- creativity, of our talent, of our beauty, of knowing mm-hmm. who we are. That's mm-hmm. a deeper issue. And so the question becomes now, as much intellect as we have on this phone, as, as, as much creativity, what can we brothers and sisters do? What kind of change can we make to help instill 
in those who come behind us this sense of somebodyness. Mm. Once they are confronted with these wicked powers that will have them thinking they are less than, inferior to, that they can stand boldly and proudly and say, no, I'm a beautiful, talented, creative, resourceful, energetic, beloved, intellectual, young African-American person. But they have to hear that from us. So I guess the question becomes, given all this stuff, it might be American Airlines, it might be Delta, but the, the, the underlying notion is knowing who we are, despite what others may think about us. Right. I think it starts at home. Yeah, yeah, I would. I think, I think it starts at home with your parents, you know, uh, someone telling you each and every day that that you are beautiful, you are respected, uh, you know, because everything, everything that I know started from home, you know. I didn't learn anything negative until I left home and got a job. You know yeah. what, though? You're, 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 I, I had uh, my, my mom and, and my people did a really good job in raising me as well. However, I ran into kids who don't have that. And, you know, Absolutely. their parents are ignorant, and, you know, and they Absolutely. don't know, they don't know how to, how to, uh, say, uh, you know, open the door or, or, or pull out a chair or say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. So those type of kids, um, are the ones that, that we really need to reach, you know what I'm saying? And I don't have the That's answer to that. That's our responsibility. That's right. our responsibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me just let me just jump in here just really quickly, because I want to actually speak to the dolls being a woman and coming up, growing up as a black girl, where back in that those days when that um, when that whole experiment was done, it was it was earlier kind of when I was younger, uh, we didn't really have dolls that were good representation of us. Mm -hmm. So when I grew up, I wasn't allowed to have dolls. Like, so, because my father didn't believe that the cabbage patch at that time was what was, uh, you know, the, the doll that came in a color closest to, you know, my chocolate skin at that time and didn't feel like that reflected the beauty of black girls and black women. So it, it's so true that it really starts with what we do with our children, what we say to them, and those symbols, those things, like those things that we give them, their dolls, their, their toys. So I'm encouraged by these different things that I've been seeing with, you know, you have um, some of these young people who, I, I can't remember the young girl's name, who, you know, started doing a campaign around, like, black books and, you know, ha making sure that we're giving and our, our, our kids opportunities to read books that have black characters in them that we, you know, we, we finally have now a, a, a black princess and, you know, all those things really play into. So I, I agree with everything that you all been saying. And, and, and because I work with girls, um, that's the reason why I do what I do and really helping them get connected to what their strengths are and knowing who they are and who they can really become um, in the world. Mm -hmm. So let me let me um let me make a point here. A, a very dear friend of mine, Sister Jennifer, she she listened to this podcast, this show last week, and she came back with some comments. Very intellectual sister now, so she she had some things she thought about, and then she she posed this question to me. I'm gonna pose it to everybody here, and I think it kind of connects with what we're saying about uh, instilling the sense of self bodiness and uh, and worth. She said, um, she said, you know, listen, I am uh, an attorney here in New York City, uh, NYU. Uh, I, I, I work for an educational firm now, and I'm trying to figure out, as what you all were talking about last week, what can I really do? How can I really make an impact? Um, and she, she referenced the fact that I said in last week's show, we, we need to be organizing. Mm -hmm. uh, she said, well, when you really think about that in a tangible way, what does that mean? And that had me thinking for a minute. And she said, how can I help to impact somebody else's life to ensure that they understand who they are? So if they happen to be confronted by police or someone at work or any other incident that we're talking about, uh, they have this sense of self-awareness and self-worth. And I struggled with that for a little while. And, I, and so I'm going to bring this back to the group here, just as she brought it to me this uh, last week. It's, 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 and it's a relevant point. She's asking, what can we do? And it's, 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 it's a lot harder than it really sounds. It sounds very easy. What, can, what do you think we can do to help out, particularly young people in our community? I mean, I, I won't make this a simple 
answer, but I feel like there's an abundance of different ways that we can get involved. The The fact of just asking the question of how I can get involved and actually putting them out there, there are plenty of organizations that focus on supporting young people in our community so that they know who they are and and and. and and expose them to people like all of us that are sitting around uh, this 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 virtual table and this conversation. Uh, our young people need to be exposed to more people that have that have been successful. And someone like her, it's an opportunity for her to mentor. It's also outside of just mentorship. It's an opportunity when we talk about organizing, which is what I actually want to get to next. Is actually. Uh, letting our voice be heard doing more things like we're doing right now like this this radio show there's so many other opportunities many of us have platforms many of us have huge social media followings and we're not using them responsibly yeah i use my i try to use my profile knowing that there are young girls watching every single thing that i do so what can i do there's it it's it's so it's it's a lot smaller sometimes that we even realize that it is the smallest things that i that i do when i'm just feel like i'm just out here minding my business i'm just doing the work that i feel god called me to do there are people watching me do that that are inspired and that are empowered and that are taking leaps just off of you know in 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 my own liberation you know as marion williamson says you know as we're liberated we we automatically give give others the 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 power to to liberate themselves that's really how i see it um, I don't know what else you all you all have to add, but I just feel like there's an abundance of ways that we can get involved, and and I think actually putting that that out there is a start. I think we can take it back to the schools. Uh, um, you know, like you say, a lot of people don't have the parents at home to teach them these things. If we can go to the schools, you know, once a week or twice a month or something like that to start working with some of these kids and show show them that somebody cares about them, it'll be a big. Uh, It'll be a difference, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, single mothers, they send their kids to daycare and expect daycare to raise them. Then they send them to elementary school and expect the elementary to raise them. And uh, it just keeps going on and on, especially if they don't have a, a father present. Uh, and I learned that from just going to career day. And, you know, the teachers always ask, well, can you come during the school year? Because, you know, a lot of these kids need this going out throughout the year and mm-hmm. not just at the end of the year. I, no. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 please. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Okay, please. Go ahead. I, 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 I mean, and I, I'm about to say, I'll continue to ask some more. Like, no, no, vol- no. volunteer. I mean, donate money. Like, if you're not the one that can get out and mentor, like, there are programs. There are schools. You know, there's a lack of funding in a lot of these schools as to why our kids aren't being educated at the same level, you know, of, of, of kids in, in other communities that, that have more privileges than our kids do. So there's just so many, there's so many different things that we could be doing. Go ahead, yeah, I, I, I said that because there might be people listening right now. You may have other friends. People, we all know people who are not as active and engaged as they should be. And this is not an attack on anybody, but some other people may have this fundamental question. What can I do? How can I mm-hmm. use my own resources and talents and God-given skills to make a difference, to be a light? And I think for me, I just told a uh, sister who asked me that, my friend last week, I said, listen, you know what? One thing we've got to do like we said, the brother said last week we talked about, instead of looking for a savior to come from the sky and mm-hmm. save us from all of our social ills, mm-hmm. you know, instead of looking for the light, you find the light within and be that light. Amen. Mm-hmm. And so that is, and that is, that's, in, and that's nobody but Rashad Hodder saying it. I think a lot of this has to do, we can't expect, you know, who, so, so just go a little bit deeper. If Donald Trump, if, 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 if Donald Trump gets into office or if Hillary wins, does that mean it's going to solve all of the social ills and the plight and the maladies that are confronting black people? Or does that mean nope. we still have some significant work to do? We have significant work. We can't rest on our laws. Even if she does get in, and we hope she does, you know, for the sake of the fact that we can't allow this, this own homegrown terrorist. Not to be the next president. Hey, hey we're so trying so I got a question, Rashad. That's a good question. You said about what what if Hillary gets in or what if Trump gets in. But what has happened in the black community for the past eight years? 
what has been yeah. solved? Have we have we got an African American uh, su- Supreme Court justice? What laws have we passed uh, that, that directly affect the African American community? You know, of course we got the black man in office, but what what has been a direct effect for us? You know. Well, I mean, we Let know me. what's the cause of that. I mean, we we have a, a, a dominating Republican Congress that made it very difficult for a lot of things that we would have loved to have get done in this at these past eight years to get done. So what we're hoping with this election, and this is why people actually have to get involved, have to start talking, have to go out and, and, and really be stumping for, for Hillary Clinton and, and vote so that we can uh, become the majority again and actually get some things that Obama may have wanted to get done done under Hillary Clinton. But you have to also you have to also remember, and I'm not taking up for Obama because I believe Obama could have used look, if he wanted to go around eating watermelon and fried chicken in the damn White House, he could. But he's the president for all. Okay, so we got that point. But what I am says he didn't (laughs) <laughs> what I am, what I am going to, what I am suggest, what I am saying here though, is that I think it's bigger than the White House. It's bigger than it, we've got to look at lo- local municipalities. We got to look at the people we're electing, our city government, our state government. What the hell are they doing? And if we're not keeping them uh, on their P's and Q's, if we're not demanding uh, 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 new laws being implemented on the local level. How can we expect anything to be done on a national or federal level? So I think it's a trickle-down effect as well. In as much as we want to hear more from the White House and in as much as we want, uh, we want to see more instead of, you know, his, uh, how can we say it, and have just as much uh, affirmation for LGBTQ communities. We want it for black communities as well. And, and in addition to having uh, another white person be put on the Supreme Court, we want another black Okay. We got all of it, absolutely. But we can start about in our own local communities, the city council persons. Who are we grooming? Mm-hmm. Who are we helping? What are we mm-hmm. demanding from them? What are we? Well, this what is kind of help this is election what year. Kind of, what kind of yeah? What kind of pressure are we putting on our our, our mayors and our governors? Right. I'll think. I'll tell you this much. Think about this. Two years. Two years ago, last week was 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 um, uh, Eric Garner's death. Now, this damn Pantaleo, the, the killer, the cop who killed Eric Garner in broad daylight, is still on lead with pain. Now, who do we blame for that? That ain't got a damn thing to do with Obama. That's, that's, right. that's, 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 that's the police chief. Yeah. And that's the mayor. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So we mm-hmm. have to really think about this, not only from a, a, a broad basis, but very, very specific. Why, why aren't we demanding more of them? Why aren't we in his face writing him say, yo, what's up, what's up with this? That's right. If it was a white man who got killed, the whole police force would have been up. But no, it's a black man. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think we've got to really, really look at this from a very critical eye. This man is still getting paid at home. Mm. Leave with pay. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Eric Garner's been in the grave two years, and his wife having to raise raise the children on his own. Right. What do we say about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. There, it seems like when there is that when we have the national elections or president elections is when everybody gets involved, and people are not as involved in these primaries and in their, in their state elections. And that's really where uh, there's an opportunity for some serious work to get done. There's also opportunities for people to get on their, their local community boards and other like civic organizations that uh, can get involved and really be able to, um, you know, make, make some changes happen. So, I mean, before we wrap up, it's crazy how fast this show goes. I, you know, we are talking about the election and we know that there are a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who are saying that they're not going to vote. Uh, so I just like to know, you know, what's your opinion, and do you think that you know the the African American community, especially, can afford to sit this election out? <laughs> the question is, who gonna, who's going to pick the president this year? Is it going to be the Electoral College or the popular vote? Mm. Well, so, it looks like it, it may very well be the popular vote, considering that Donald Trump has brought out record Republicans. Like more people came out to vote, you know, like than ever, which is a problem but, for Democrats. But I, but I think it's still going to come down to who's going to pick the president: popular or electoral, 
are we, we see what happened with the uh, you know the emails being released you know the Democrats uh, siding with Hillary over uh, Bernie so I mean what other stuff is going to happen that's going to come out between now and November we got what 90 days before we elect the next president my question is can we afford to sit this election out no, we like, can't. We could, we could go back and Absolutely forth about like, what we can't. We can't sit it out. But we like, can't sit it out. And what everybody, everybody needs to do is rent a van, and then we just need to pick up like, these 10 friends, and then we can all go vote together, and then drop everybody off back to work. Because that's what it's going to take. Yeah, we need to get we we need to pick up all the elderly people like we picked up when Obama first uh, uh, ran for office, Absolutely. and we need to pick up all the elderly people, all the uh, our friends that we hang out with on the weekends, and we need to bring them to the polls, and we need to vote. But if it, if that doesn't happen, then if that doesn't happen, we're not gonna huh. Now I was just gonna say we need to use that. Will you reference or Cuba reference social media platform? We need to use this to educate yeah. these platforms to educate our sisters and brothers who are really apathetic and indifferent and who care less. And you have to understand, we're not voting. Everything we put into play now, who we, who we elected into office now, is bigger than us. It this sure is talking is. about your children and your children's mm-hmm. children's generation. When we think mm-hmm. about how this is, and if you're looking at this from just a very narrow-minded lens of what's going to happen in 2017 or 18, you're full of crap. Because it, it's really based now what's going to I'm, what's going to happen in 2022. What laws are going to be put, in, put into place? If Trump gets in office and does some of this foolish, narrow-minded stuff, it's going to take us back 50, 100 years. Mm. That's mm. true. I'm not saying I'm a lover of Hillary and everything she does. No, but I would much rather have have her there than this homegrown terrorist. Yeah, everyone keeps saying that. They don't like the idea of voting of the lesser of two evils. But my thing is that there is a lot at stake with this election, almost more. I love the fact that you reference, you know, Quinn, of, you know, when people were, were getting boats and I mean, buses and going to get the elderly people. That I feel like that's the kind of excitement that's going to be needed in this election, because there is just to me much more at stake now than there may have been eight years ago like eight years ago it was all about you know no more bush and you know all of that but like there is just so much that's going on in the world i mean well what just happened you know over the weekend in germany is crazy like so it's it's so important to make sure that we have someone that you know has the experience uh and that is going to have the the support of you know the congress and the senate to actually be able to get things done so you know for me those that are listening i i understand there's been a lot of things that were done that you know probably to a degree stole this from bernie but we cannot afford like i've have heard all kinds of arguments as to why people you know feel like it's it's wrong for them to vote for hillary clinton but we just can't afford to uh to not have our voice be heard and, and look, if you just listen to this man, the guy lacks intellectual depth. Um, Trump is just a dummy. He, I mean, I don't care if he does have a, a, a backing from... Uh, Damn, tell uh, us how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he lacks the depth. I'm just going to call it for how I see it. Are you going right. to have somebody to represent you and talking to leaders from all over the world? Talking about this is the leader of the free world? And he's going to represent us? Oh, I mean, I, listen, I, 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 I'd be more like, I'd be inclined to be more like the boys move to Ghana. Well, again, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for, for coming on the show this evening. Any final comments before we wrap up? Because I can't believe we're at our last three minutes. Can I just say something real quick? Sure. Um, uh, I went to the, uh, the national... Um, uh, historical uh, civil rights museum down here in Atlanta, and also I toured the whole Martin Luther King Jr. Um, exhibits and whatnot, and it just gave me more of a sense to fight. I mean, there are people who lost their lives just mm-hmm. to have walk down the That's street. It. You know, mm-hmm. um, today is Emmett Till's birthday, actually, and uh, seventy-five years old. That's right, and uh, and all these things put put for me put in perspective. Of why I'm why I'm speaking on this radio show, and mm-hmm. why I continue to um, to speak out against um, you know the oppression of my people because black is beautiful and I love my people no matter how 
you know, ignorant they may be sometimes, no matter how uh, uh, inconsiderate or whatever, but we still need to move forward and push forward because what's going on right now is wrong and mm. it needs to be fixed, period, point blank. Mm. Well, to your point about King, I'm only, I, have, I haven't used a quote all night. I am going to use this quote right now. About <laughs> hey, go ahead, brother. I am, I am going to say this, but you know one thing King said? And this really ties in to where we are now. He said, King said, this is a radical king that said this at the end of his life. He said, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral. Mm. You don't go to vote. Mm. Stay at home. That's those who, I'll say it again, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. And that's now. Mm. That's now. Well, on that note. Oh. <laughs> hey, being pro-black doesn't mean being anti-white, too. Right. We got to continue this next Monday, Akila. We got, oh, we're already yeah. ready. Uh, y'all, uh, <laughs> y'all have had enough for Keeping the Beauty. But I want to thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me again uh, this evening. Thank you so much. I, I really um, encourage you all to continue to use your voices. We need to hear from you, black men. Um, yeah, there's so much insight and there's so much is really wanted and needed in the world from you. So I just thank you for being with me for these last two Mondays. I know I'll have you all back uh, at some point if it's not together or individually. Um, Quinn. Uh, Aaron, I'm hoping you're going to be at the Girls Summit with me when I get to Atlanta next weekend. So, uh, thank you so much for those that listened with us this evening. If you joined us late, you can catch the full version on iHeartRadio.com and search Keeping It Beauty. Check out com for what's everything we got coming up and get our apparel. You can join us next week, same place, same time. And please tell somebody about the show. And I want to leave you this week. Revolting is the expression of our commitment to ourselves, one another, this country, and this world. Sharon Salzberg said that let's get involved in this election as, you know, former presidential uh, candidate Ted Cruz said, vote your conscience. Make this a great week with peace and love. Until next week, be beauty. Be beauty.